All righty, welcome everyone. A couple stragglers coming in. All right, so this is, uh, I think, on the officially the API ecosystem panel. I think we were going to rename it API orchestration, but I think officially we're API ecosystem. So we're going to talk about APIs today. How many people know what an API is? Awesome. How many of you are developers? Okay. And the rest of you business folk? Sales, marketing, all right, <laughs> all righty, well, welcome. So my name is Ken Lane. I'm the API evangelist. Uh, this is what I do for a living is evangelize APIs. Uh, I don't evangelize any one API. I spend time evangelizing all APIs equally and helping people understand how to successfully use APIs. And that's why I'm here with my panel today. And I'm not going to introduce everyone. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So take it away. Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, happy Veterans Day to any veteran out there. Uh, my name is Bill Hajar. I'm the CEO of Sinzari. Uh, we are a semantic graph-based uh, search and recommendation engine for other bigger clients that we work with. Uh, we do have uh, an API, which my engineers told me about. <laughs> Originally, I joined this panel a little late and... Dean Bolt, who was supposed to be on the panel with us, and uh, he's the only other person I know from the panel. And I said, well, it's like the last comic standing thing where I said, well, I know I'm smarter than Dean about API, so I'm going to join the panel. So Dean dropped out. So, <laughs> so here I am. So uh, welcome. Thank you. Hi, my name is Antti Silventonen. I'm from Finland, from a company called Music Kickup. Um, we're a full-service house for artists and labels. Currently... We work with artists from over 100 countries and labels from 38. Uh, we offer distribution, artist and business development resources, and later next year we're going to be offering funding. And today we're going to be announcing our API for digital distribution, which is going to be the first in the world. So it's a one-line code snippet um, that you can embed into your app or into your website and become a digital distributor. Um, overnight, so it's going to allow white label distribution for anyone in the world. We manage all the rights contract for technology and rights holding, and the licenses for it. So it's pretty revolutionary, and um, I'm not going to spend more time now talking about it. We're probably going to touch upon it later, but we'll talk about more. Great. Uh, my name is Steve Wilmot. I'm the CEO of Three Scale. Um, we're an API infrastructure company. We power about 500 different APIs, uh, all sorts of different industries. Everything from construction to footwear, retail, obviously digital, uh, from media to, to e-commerce as well. Um, we've been around since for a long time, and, and we have six or seven different um, APIs that use us that are in the music space, and we've seen them from early on, so they include folks like uh, Music Match and Jamiendo, um, uh, also Senzari's um, uh, someone that we work with as well. And it's been really interesting seeing the different business models that people have and also how people have taken these APIs. It's one of the things that seeing all these different industries that, that we see, uh, music has this uh, emotional component that as a developer you can, you can just make it happen and do something that you enjoy you can share with people. That's actually not true if you're writing a construction API or something, right? So there's this really great um, synergy between getting this data, which is amazing, together with the content itself and turning it into apps, which we see is really exciting. And, um, yeah, we can, we can definitely share some learnings from other industries across to this. And I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. I'm Justin, uh, as in Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake. It's at a music festival. Anyway, uh, I work for a company called Braintree. We recently acquired by PayPal. Uh, we've got an easy one-touch API that allows you to accept uh, PayPal, Venmo, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, 
uh, come to me or our booth in the corner if you want to know more about that we also give out like $100,000 or 1.5 million free transaction fees I'm a developer advocate with PayPal so I help developers understand our APIs um, and get feedback for them so again I'm super honored to be in this esteemed panel um, especially with Kim who I know is an amazing uh, API evangelist and uh, I'll let him take it away alright so so this isn't just about providing APIs and being a developer. For me, you know, APIs are equally about uh, providing APIs, but also consuming APIs. And this is a music event, so I think you know it's interesting here up on the panel. We got a nice mix. We've got you know we've got two I think excellent examples of music companies that that fit right into this conference. But I think when when you think about APIs, I want you to think a lot wider because when you're thinking social. You're thinking uh, Facebook, you're thinking Twitter. When you're thinking payments, you're thinking Braintree, PayPal, Stripe. So, you know, APIs are all across the board. Everyone has APIs these days, you know, all the way from startups all the way up to the White House has APIs now. So, um, so I don't want you to be just limited by providing APIs. I want you to think wider. And that's what I want to try to talk about here. But let's bring it back home to music. So, so Bill... Why APIs? What is it doing for you guys? I mean, both, from both sides of that coin of providing and consuming. Well, uh, uh, to start with the second part of that question, we, we actually use a lot of the social APIs ourselves in providing our API and our, our product out to the industry. Uh, we use Twitter APIs, Facebook APIs. We use other music APIs to get data. And it's, it's, when it comes down to it, it's all about data, right? Um, you know, taking data or, or helping our clients who have, you know, sometimes years of user data and helping them make decisions on that to either, either give a better, you know, recommendation to a consumer <laughs> or making better business or intelligent uh, business decisions upon that data. So, you know, why an API from our side is that we, you know, our, our bigger clients, we obviously do a lot of customization work, and it's very, very customizable. But the API, the public API, allows us to, to get that product out to the user community, get immediate feedback, check on scalability issues, uh, you know, make sure it's, you know, we, we see a lot of cool ways that people use our API that we then make into a feature. Um, so it really just is about getting, you know, getting more people to use the, use the product. And, and, and as we build and become a bigger company, uh, you need that. You need that, you know, the, the kind of groundswell of user uh, communities to, to really understand what you're doing and, and to help you just make, you know, product decisions down the line. And I, I mean, I hear that constantly. This, I mean, APIs are way more than technical. They're, they're R&D. It's a business development arm yeah, of your absolutely. company, basically. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I would say it's more, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's more of a business development than it is a technical even product. For us, it's, it's really understanding, you know, who's using it and how. And we actually take that and then, you know, go after bigger companies and say, hey, we're, we, we can, this product can do this for you based on maybe what our users have done, you know, and in, a, in a hackathon or something like that. So, so Amte, we're talking, I mean, he, they're more intelligence and data you guys are distribution, so so you know when I think of the music industry, and I mean I actually used to uh, work in in uh, radio and media distribution back in the '90s. So I actually used to work in the mu- yeah. music industry, and when I think of APIs, I think great, yes, distribution it makes sense, but then you, you hear about all the licensing, all the other problems, right. the things that make the music industry what it is. I think as far as a business, yeah. but. Talk about why APIs. What are APIs doing for you, you know, from that standpoint? I mean, at least from consuming APIs, they've been crucial on product development because um, when you do resource-wise tracking on what you want to develop in a company, you want to kind of focus on the things that you're going to be really good at instead of developing every part that you can. So for us, it's always been a method of speeding up into 
products early on so we can test them, maybe then evaluate should we build something from them. And then as building APIs, we've actually built our entire UI is always running on our own API, so we've always had a private API running that we could then use to any partner gains that we have. And the distribution API then is just something that we noticed that the industry needs because one of our aim was to commoditize distribution completely, which is why we've offered it for free for already a number of times. And uh, the distribution platform can be completely then revolutionized by allowing companies beyond normally working with digital distribution or with songs to start being them. We talked with ad agencies. Um, a lot of labels want to do local, hyper-local distribution. Um, you know, there's so many different venues where you go, and there's no other actual right way to do it than to give a really robust, fast API because, again, like you said, the licensing issues and the rights issues are really complex, and we manage all that so that the company can then focus on whatever they want to do with their own customers and their own content that they're providing. So not to just keep going down the line, but I'm curious from your perspective, Steve, specifically of seeing the wider industry. Why are people coming to you wanting to do APIs? I mean, not maybe your music customers, but then scale out a little wider than that. Why are, why are they doing APIs? Um, so I think in, in general, APIs are, they seem really, it's a simple thing to do, right? I, it's basically, well, I, it's like a website without any HTML and CSS, right? It's a, should be super easy, but obviously it's not. You need to scale. Um, you need to think about the fact that it's um, they're automated systems which are hitting you, not humans clicking. And even if someone just misconfigures a script and hammers your your your, your servers, you could be down. Um, and so there are a lot of complexities in doing that. And we obviously try to help people with infrastructure to do that. Um, basically, all the kind of technical operations, but also how do they get developers um, have key access and all of that. But um, it really. And different people need different kinds of help, and we just try to put the tools in their hands. Um, if I look at music specifically, I think one of the reasons that it's, as I said at the beginning, it, it's, um, it's grown so quickly, the music APIs and the diversity, is because, one, you're obviously talking about unique pieces of data of various kinds that are difficult to find, and they have rights attached to them, so you have to get them from the right place. If you get them from the wrong place uh, and uh, do the wrong thing with them, then you're probably doing something which is illegal. Yeah. Right? So that, that creates a, a kind of nexus of data flow that's really important. The other thing is you have, um, you have end users involved, and end users don't like complexity. Uh, so you're going to have a lot of volume being driven, and they're very demanding in terms of how, you know, speed and access. And then you've got kind of the, f now, you know, in the wider industry, you see Internet of Things. So you see all sorts of different devices doing things. That's sort of the thing that perhaps the last year has really blown up. But you need actual standard ways of getting data backwards and forwards. And you needed it first almost in music because people have music players of various kinds, right? Uh, you're trying to write uh, interfaces for devices that weren't web browsers, and you were trying to do that maybe earlier than most other industries. So I think music has driven a lot of this, um, like this need for APIs and this data exchange. And it's, it's hard to do at scale, and it's hard to do securely, and it's, um, uh, it's still you know, sort of more of a black art than a science in a lot of cases. So... Uh, I mean, one good example of what we've done is we have a launch partner called Soundation. It's the world's most famous or most used DAW that's on a browser. They have over a million users. They do electronic music on it. Uh, they were looking for a way to have a direct distribution service from that DAW then to these stores. 
and they couldn't do it without com compromising their own business model or compromising their own clientele. And with the API that we provided them, they could embed it directly into their DAW and have a one-click system. Once you have your track ready, you don't have to bounce it out. You don't have to upload it anywhere. You just click that distribution button, give a few metadata points, and press release, and your song goes onto all these stores. So this would not be possible at all from rights perspective, from license perspective, from um, the way they want to handle their business model. You know, They don't want to share their customers. Uh, these are all questions that APIs are perfectly built for because it's a technology engine, so we don't have to then do a very complex contract between these companies, such as ours and Soundation between it. And, you know, for them, it took three days to implement our API. So they had a distribution engine running inside a DAW, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, and just to add to what Steven said, from a macro side, it's definitely, I mean, what we found, it needs to be scalable, easy to use. Um, you need to be able to easily integrate it into whatever product you're, you're trying to create at the end, at the end game. Um, and it has to have to have a transparent business model with it. I mean, if, if nothing else, at the end of the day, you don't want, you know, you need to understand how somebody is using your product, but also how potentially they might have to pay you. And they need to understand that, too. Um, so I would agree with what, you know, all the points that Steven said. I mean, the theme, I mean, it, it just sounds like it's more business than it is technical. It's about partnerships. It's about, I mean, with PayPal and Braintree, I mean, it's a way of, of acquiring mm -hmm. talent or uh, acquiring the, the tools or market share that you need. I mean, PayPal went from super sexy to big co within like five years, mm -hmm. and then they have to like partner with Braintree yep. and, and acquire to get start getting business done like they need it and be able to compete with the stripes and the other players yep. out there in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I've noticed, I mean, something about API documentation, that's something I like to focus on. Has anyone, here people are developers, like, anyone seen like shitty developer documentation? And you're like, what the hell are people thinking about, right? So, you know, as PayPal and Braintree, we realize that, right? Um, Braintree, we, we try to make special focus on making great documentation for developers because traditionally people were thinking, well, developers knows Linux, right? Like a man command, right? Anyone use man commands in, in Linux and seen that documentation? Well, documentation used to, everyone knows, right? It used to look like that. Now, when you look at documentation, developers are consumers, right? And you need to design it like they are a consumer. They're going to embrace this, right? It's just immediately they need to know what the API is and how they can integrate it like really quickly. Uh, one thing we also noticed that if you put code samples out there, people are going to copy and paste it. Right? They are going to literally take your code, copy and paste it. So those samples better be extremely robust. And I'm talking about extremely robust. Um, and you know, as Kim was alluding to, these are customers. These are folks who we're trying to acquire. It's very important. So Steve, what other, what are, besides, I mean, uh, an API that clearly offers value and it's intuitive, good documentation, code samples, what other building blocks are essential to you know, a, a, a quality API or a good API? Um. I think I think that the main thing to realize if you so APIs sound great like we've all said how amazing they are on the panel like and it, it <laughs> that's a good thing, um, but the clear thing is you're creating a dependency between yourself and the users of the API. So you're basically saying, look, I'm going to offer this thing on these terms with this interface, um, and you're going to be able to do these things with it. Now sometimes those things change over time, um, but it's really important to get the business model lined up so you know that you're going to be able to offer it for some time. Like if you take it away after six months, that's way worse than not offering it in the first place. And so the, the thing of kind of bearing in mind this implicit or explicit contract between you and the world as to who is getting to use it 
and having an, an open communication channel with the developers that are using it is really important. Um, and you know, obviously that reflects in documentation and all those things, but it's also in, in being transparent about your roadmap. Um, are, are we going to do X and Y? Are we not going to do X and Y? Um, and trying to give people that feedback and kind of where things, things are going. And that sounds like it's really easy. It's uh, normally super hard because if you're a large company, your lawyers are not going to let you say anything about what you're planning to do. And they're not allowed, they're not going to, and we see terms of service, for example, that say stuff like, we'll change, we can change this at any time for any reason because the lawyer says that we must be able to do that. But if you're a developer and you read that, you're like, well, great, thanks. <laughs> I'll go use something else, right? So I think those um, soft things are actually um, pretty critical. We can go all deep into the technical things, but I'll stop there for now. Which is one thing I'd like to add. Like, as any API, as I'm sure you guys know, once you release an API, people are going to use it forever. I mean, it, you can, for us, what we've found is we can try to migrate people to a newer API, but there are folks who are still going to use those what, classic APIs. Right? I mean, I'm sure folks who have designed APIs have realized that. Right? And migrating those developers, sometimes there's going to be one or two customers that's going to stick onto this API, even if you try to force them to move over to a new API. So as you were saying, it's very important to realize that there's a contract between you and the developer once you've once you released any API, that you're going to have to support them for a very long time. Yeah, and absolutely. And also, I mean, in the end of business development, as you stated, where in mission-critical parts do you have an ability to have an API? There's a lot of parts where you could put. I have an example of Sound, uh, SoundCloud. We were at one point thinking of using the SoundCloud API to pull in content, um, as it would be a natural way because many musicians had their content already on SoundCloud. So we would just take the API, pull the content on, onto our service, and then distribute it to um, all the stores. What happened was that their API couldn't manage it. I mean, it was failing one out of two. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where we had a roadmap built where SoundCloud API would have been one of the key components of what we do. And we ended up having it in a very mission-critical part. So luckily, it was between product development where we realized that it fails constantly. But that would have been a really, really shitty thing, you know, if we were alive and we're pushing albums constantly out and we're seeing, like, 50% fails. So it's also, like you said, it's about understanding where the risks are also involved. If suddenly SoundCloud decided to pull that out, what would we have in between or in in instead of it? And the same thing goes with logins. The same thing goes with everything. So... It, there is always a business risk involved. Yeah, and the only thing that I would add to that is, is to hit upon what Stephen said about you know, privacy and some of the policies around that, too, in, in terms of use. You can always write, yeah, we can change this at any time, but you really have to make sure that your lawyers who, you know, that, that, uh, that you use or whoever, however you're making sure those terms of use are correct are lock solid because at the end of the day, you are responsible. You know, we're using a lot of other people's APIs, getting, you know, gathering data, putting into a graph, getting contextual information, getting user data, and eventually giving that to somebody else and God knows what they do with that, right? And you, but so you got to protect yourself at that point. Um, and, and you have to have those policies in place and make them very clear on your, on your site. Well, I mean, so, I mean, this is, this is business. These are vendor relationships. I mean, so... So, so Auntie, talk about like what sort of decision goes. You mentioned earlier about how, you know, you'll want something, some features, and you'll weigh whether you build it yourself or is it out there yeah. can someone else do it. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, I mean, that kind of vendor decision? Absolutely, because one of the things that you know is crucial in the development phase is, of course, thinking like, what am I going to carry on 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 our back? 
you know, do we take these features into our own roadmap or do we search for a partner that's already done it, who have proven market, you know, track record on how it works? And for us, it was critical to always look for partners on whatever part we could work with you because there's, you know, being a jack of all trades, a master of none is probably the worst way of having a company out there today. And there's so many great services from providing data to providing um, login to providing, you know, just simple things like when we give analytics out, we use Google Charts for it instead that we would start implementing our own, you know, uh, engine to draw graphs or anything. These are all like small features but very critical into the design points when we go to. So these are ways that we can alleviate a lot of stress from our development team and our own development resources and focus them on the things that we really want to kind of make sure that we control the end-to-end points of it. And the APIs can be then connected into parts um, kind of connecting other industry relations that we don't want to manage ourselves. Yeah, and just to bring that back to the music industry, I mean, there's so many cool APIs out there, yeah. including ours, Music Graph, and all the other products, that it gives you just that step forward to make a, you know, an end consumer product that is that much better than trying to just start from scratch and building something. You can, you can just build upon the, the pyramid that other people have built and get really cool, new, innovative music products. Um, we see them, and they're, you know, some of them make it, some of them don't, but they're all, I mean, to, to a T, they're all cool, right? Yeah, I mean, could you imagine building your own Google Maps? Yeah, to try to have to build something of that scale, you know? And, and, and on top of that, actually maps have a license attached to them so that you couldn't even have a map on your page if you don't pay for the map license. So, again, that's like the classic rights thing. So a lot of people design stuff, like you said, and they necessarily don't even know that they're infringing on rights. So let's explore the, the rights part of this some more. You know, I, I've seen a lot of people enter the music industry as startups totally naive, totally unaware of the world that they're entering into yeah. and think that technology and APIs are just going to save them, but, you know, somehow miraculously. Do you see more, do you see, do you see that? And then do you see any of the big boys like really getting APIs as far as the, you know, uh, the, you know, the large players in the industry, the thousand pound grills, do they get it? Are they even, are APIs on their radar? I think that, you know, it depends so much on the company culture who you work with. Um, some of the big ones have some of the best APIs out there, like Apple's API for distribution is extremely robust. And, of course, they've had to develop it to their apps, which is kind of the delivery system for them. Um, as for then some of the other companies, they might have technology that's 15 years old, and they've just patched it, you know, coming to 2014. And obviously they'll have really crappy systems and for them to restart the entire product development for that 15 years is way too much. They, they can't do it. Or then it's a product, you know, you've all seen probably if you've worked in larger companies and seen the product development cycles that large companies have, it'll go into product development hell and be there for like five years until the management looks at it that we've spent this and this much money on this new system and it's still not running. Like, let's debunk it and go back to the old one. And that's kind of the classic thing why a lot of bigger music companies will still have pretty, pretty crappy things. As for the small companies coming in, I think the naivety is like it's a real issue especially for music industry, like people uh, kind of hop into it considering that, you know, as a consumer of music or as a musician, you have some sort of insight already into how things work, which is, of course, false. Um, we, we spent about three years studying legal issues before we started Music Kickup, 
And uh, it was just to make sure that whenever we start actually scaling out and doing a full rollout, we, we are prepared for different region legal issues, because every region has their own intricities that we need to take into account. And with, without this kind of like base studies doing it, we would have hit a lot of walls constantly scaling out, because we couldn't then have done all the contracts that we needed to do to kind of roll out full. Three years? Yeah. We're in San Francisco. That's like... I know, this is Europe. <laughs> in Europe, you have, like, considering that we've had three years of then product development. Oh, my God. So it's like six years in the making. So <laughs> our, our investors were, like, really cool in Europe, and they allow you to kind of really push it through and really make a product that's worth, worth the market instead of just trying to hit the market really fast and see if it's a gamble, if it would work or not. Yeah, I would just to add anecdotally, you know, we started our technology build, you know, three years ago, um, and we really were building what we believed to be the next generation of an EchoNest product. We were building a better product than EchoNest, but obviously our, our team of engineers would look at their APIs, and the feedback I got always was that they have really strong APIs, really great documentation, is a really good company. So now, you know, now we have other uh, competitions. Some of them are legacy, older companies, and I always get feedback from our engineers like, oh, their APIs are crap, they're older, they're like... So I, I, I use them as a litmus test for you know, whether I think a company's good or not, and I have them look at their API and see what kind of documentation and and you learn a lot about like you know really what their business model is, how they plan on making money, um, you know whether they've been spending three years on legal stuff. I don't know. Yeah, well, it wasn't like day day in day out three years. <laughs> I mean, that, that we yeah, didn't yeah. sleep for, for. Yeah, I mean, I, you can really tell by looking at uh, I think a company uh, an API tells a lot. You know how much detail, how much time they put into it, how simple. I mean, we all know simplicity is not easy to achieve. It's definitely um, so. So, Steve, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, APIs are just, you know, websites without the HTML and CSS. Um, so is that is I mean, in, in these highly controlled industries, I mean, we've seen, you know, Netflix put up a public API and go away. We saw ESPN put up a public API and go away. So, I mean, are APIs just about just putting up one pipe, one big feed to the Internet that's public and everyone has access to it? I mean, what, what's out there? What, you know, approaches and tools are you seeing for, for, for handling this risk, controlling it, metering it, dealing with stuff like that? Um, that's that's, a, that's a, a kind of big bucket question there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, th I think that if you're – there's the provider side and the consumer side. I, I don't think it's just having a, one big pipe. I mean, you obviously need to think about what you're offering. It, it's – APIs brings brings home the dependency because you're writing code, which means you're write, you're spending hours writing stuff, which ultimately might turn into something. But just like any other business relationship, I mean, if you're a supplier to Ford or you buy components from someone, um, if those components are unique and that's the only place to get them, you have a dependency, right? It it just this happens to be code, and it's arguably easier to rewrite code than to redesign your other widget, which you're putting this other widget that you're buying into, right? So, I think there's um. There's there's clearly a due diligence to be done, not only on the API itself, but also on the company. And I think the key thing is, you know, is the company going to be in business for a lot, for a while, and um, is it in their interest to keep providing the API? Which is sort of a weird question, um, but it's an important one. So what's what's in it for them is important, and they should be leaving enough value on the table for you to do th do something useful with it. But they should also probably be getting some value from it. And that's a if if you don't see that quid pro quo, then it's sort of time to worry. I do think that um, in, in music APIs, there's some really interesting um, opportunities. So, so there are a lot of APIs and a lot of great services out there. 
And um, it's relatively, you're obviously talking about different types of things. You're talking about lyrics or metadata, the actual streaming, the content themselves, other information. And uh, there's sort of a prototype standardization. Obviously, the streaming formats and stuff and, and the actual file formats are getting standardized, but metadata is sort of creeping together. So one of the interesting questions, so Echo Nest obviously had a way to actually link some of these things together in a kind of music ID. And that, that you don't normally have in another industry because most industries are. I have my payment API and my Google Maps API. They don't really have anything to do with each other. Mm -hmm. But in music, it's like the lyrics from here match exactly this performance on this day, which I can find on this service, and these photos. So I think that's a, an interesting thing. If you can find a way to make yourself more independent by having that mapping available or using services that do and gluing those together, that's, that's a pretty important thing because you can switch more easily then. Um, there's some copyright things we could talk about on API interfaces as well, but maybe that's a question for you guys because Echo Nest was, they, they kind of were probably one of the first that did that well, and Grace Note did something similar, but maybe not at the same level of gluing all the pieces together. Um, but they've been bought by Spotify now, so maybe that, that's gone away. Like how, maybe uh, you guys have some opinions no, on that. I actually. mean, as I uh, you know, alluded to in my last uh, statement, you know, we, we built our product to, to compete with Echo Nest, and when we launched it you know, two weeks later, you know, they were bought by Spotify. It basically opened the whole market up to companies like ours. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. It also lends itself for, as I said, there's a lot of companies out there that look at that purchase and look at that valuation that you get from building up, you know, what, what sometimes would be a very unsexy, you know, API or metadata or recommendation product, and you can actually make money on it. And your investors are asking you why you're not doing that instead of whatever you're doing. Um, but, you know, we've been doing this for years, so it, it's, it, it definitely opens the market, but it also creates a lot of noise in the market, too. Um, so, yeah, so I think there's, there's great opportunity there, and uh, we're working hard and with a lot of most of, I'd say, Econest, uh, you know, clients that are in the market to, to solve that problem. And I mean, looking at Econest shortly is that, of course, they were using a lot of stuff that's still out there. I mean, the Econest kind of API was just a connector API. And, of course, they had their fingerprinter there, which was like the holy grail of everything. But, you know, it, it used a lot of stuff that's still out there. So you could kind of go and grab it yourself and do kind of the connections. There's a lot of fingerprinters out there. Queen Mary's an open source fingerprinter that you could just pull out and start working on it. So I think that, you know, the industry itself is deprived currently of something as cool as Echo Nest was, of course, because it was acquired by Spotify. But I, I think that, you know, um, a savvy team could quickly, you know, do a business model around still those data points. So I don't think they're lacking. The data is not missing at all. Yeah. I guess my point was more not necessarily this is one of those things independent of the individual APIs is that those mappings and the, there's a great opportunity that there are these various formats that are sort yeah. of converging and then the notion of this identity. Even if one thing goes away, hopefully other things can emerge yeah. Uh, maybe, and it's it's kind of still there. So, like you. Well, I mean, aggregation response, so. from my standpoint is is a sign of a mature <laughs> maturing space. Um, you know, cloud computing. You have tools that get you from one cloud to another. Uh, financial APIs similar. You have uh, ones that. So I think music. I think more uh, the more aggregators that are gonna gonna emerge. I think it shows the overall health and uh, of an industry or maturity of an industry that there's a lot of these sources out there. Yeah. Um, so what I mean. Is is Equinus going to go away? What's the does, does anyone know what like what this does anyone feel like it's going to go away? In a room? Is there any confidence? <laughs> is there any confidence? I, yeah, that's I, I could say around? with pretty good confidence that they're uh, they're 
purchaser does not want their client base to, uh, to, comp to continue to use the Equinist. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So why, I mean, those, those are some of the, I mean, as far as your vendor going away, staying around, building your business around this, or someone building them around you when you have an exit strategy, I mean, what's, why, why is the Braintree brand still around? What's, what's some thinking, I mean, I, I know why, I mean, PayPal acquired them, but why, is, why, and I still see Venmo too. I mean, Venmo is still a strong brand too. So why, what's the motivation for keeping the brand around versus doing away with it or just absorbing it into the beast? So I guess the question is why, because we have PayPal, we have Braintree, why, uh, why keep Braintree uh, as, a, as a brand name, as a customer? I think a lot of our merchants, I think it's, it's funny, right? When you think of an API, my opinion, again, don't quote me on this, is um, there's a lot of trust behind the API, right? Especially payments, right? And I think a lot of our merchants have formed great relationships with us, uh, and they trust Braintree. Uh, we're trying to tell them the benefits behind um, us merging with PayPal, but there's also that trust, right? Like, hey, are you guys still going to provide the same level of customer support behind your API? And that's very valuable to us. And uh, I think we're, we're, keep, we're keeping around. We're actually pushing people towards Braintree because we have that brand name, that level of trust, integrity behind it. Um, and Venmo, right? Uh, among um, the younger, like, college audience, a lot of people understand Venmo. Uh, it's, again, it's a very powerful, powerful brand name, right? Now, people rave about it. It's almost, for some reason, life-changing because they can finally split their bill. And um, right, they can owe money and pay easily, right? Instead, of their friends paying, um, owing them money, and that's very powerful for us, right? Which is why, in my opinion, we want to keep that uh, brand brand around. Yeah, I've gone to hackathons and yeah. people, you know, and said, "Hey, have you ever used PayPal?" And they're like, "No, BrainTree." Like they're yeah. like religious yeah. about BrainTree, yep. and, and yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, and I think that you know, all in all, the understanding of where you are, who's kind of moving the bigger picture. Like if you look at the app development is easy because you always know that you're within the app ecosystem of either Android or iOS or Windows phone and you know you're succumbed to whatever whimsical things they want to do. But within APIs I think it's often forgotten that you're still within another company's full business concept. And that API is completely dependent on what that company's business model wants to do. So again, like moving with Braintree or moving with someone, it's really important to kind of understand who's moving what. Like what if the industry shifts to a whole new kind of payment solution? Or what if, you know, a new type of communication happens? Would this company be able to even move there? So again, the risk management, but also kind of understanding where you're moving, who's, who you're moving with, with different parts of your segments and different parts of your ecosystem, which is why a lot of companies choose to use the biggest company APIs out there instead of using smaller ones because they're more predictable on, you know, how, how things move forward than just taking, like, the coolest, best kind of designed API for current situation. You might take a less featured but more, you know, easily controlled, and you can expect them to be around for longer. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen we see that <laughs> as a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you, it created, you know, the the... the the market that's starting to, to make some value in it and, and starting to get bought is the same market that as a startup that we, you know, our clients are a billion dollar companies in a lot of cases ask us, well, you know, what's your, what's, you know, what if you're not around in a few years and, you know, what type of protection can we have? And it's, you know, you're going to see that at any startup at any third party provider. Um, and there's really no answer to that besides the fact that they're a billion dollar company and they can afford to buy us too. You know, there's a, you know, there's, a, there's, that's the answer, right? The, the economics of it are that if you want the cool new best in class 
product that's a startup, then there is going to be risks. We, uh, there's going to be risk involved with the fact that they're, you know, they're either going to be built up or they're going to be bought. I mean, most likely. So how do you build trust? I mean, you talked about your, your, your new offering, your new API that you guys are, are releasing. You're going to try to talk other people into doing away with their technology and, and solely depend on So how do you build that trust? Uh, well, I mean, it, it depends also on the contract. So there has to be like a handout part for the API. But that's a very European way of looking at it. So if the company kind of goes down, you hand out the code and um, make sure that they can still sustain the API, whatever they want to develop for it. But I think that trust comes from the fact that, you know, building successful showcases is always the best way to do trust and then kind of gradually moving forward. Like, I don't think an API such as ours, like the distribution API, even though we're really proud of it, and I think that any distribution company in the world should throw their tech away and take ours because it's better. But I, I don't think that it's going to be something that we can boast about, like today, stating that, you know, go to the orchard and say, like, you know, remove your servers, take our API because you're going to do better. Because it takes time to gradually get trust, and trust is something you earn. You know, I can't buy it. I can't do it by a website or text. I need to prove my worthiness to the companies and on how that's, that API can truly advance their business models. Yeah, so, so trust, I think, I mean, for me, is operates at all layers in this API space. And I spend probably, you know, evangelism for me is is a very small part is educating or you know developers about APIs. The larger part is building trust with 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 developers, building trust with business leaders that, that APIs are even something. So Steve, I mean, you guys have been doing API management. I you know you're one of the the original providers from like 2007, 2008. You guys are old. Um, how did how do, how do we even convince people that APIs are a thing? I mean. I mean, I know a lot of people here are going to go back to their companies, go back to their business partners or bosses and have to convince it. How do you convince people that APIs are even a thing that they should be concerned with? Uh, it, was, it was tough in 2007, that was for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't, we don't run across too many companies now that, are, that are, like, don't think they need to do something. Uh, you know, I think pretty much every company that has a digital presence of any kind is starting to feel some pressure or, or at least see, val- see value they may not be doing it today um, the, the main thing that in the conversation is that you know what's the trade-off between the fear of getting it wrong um, what how much investment do we have to make and those kind of things so I think the fact that it's a thing it may not have reached all the decision makers in the company but most most companies have some folks that are trying to do something because they see uh, they they have customers or they have partners who are trying to say, can I get this data that you have and can I do something with it and can I connect it to this other thing and we can create something new and that 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 pressure is arriving pretty much on everyone's doorstep. How you go through the process of getting a company to engage in that if if there's resistance is tough because it depends. You normally have to just figure out how it how it's going to affect the company's main mission and if you can't figure that out, it's probably not the right time yet. Um, I guess that's sort of yeah. the answer. And th- I think they're very clearly a thing uh, in terms of um, value you can generate. And I'm sure most company, most people in this room will have some kind of data or service that they, they can certainly um, get, you know, provide as value to the outside world and do something with it. So in, a, in, a, in, a, in another layer of the trust, it seems to me, Bill, is, is in this, this, you know, big data world that we're all drowning in and we're hearing how magical it is. But if you have a lot of data, you know that it's, 
it's hard to make sense of it. I mean, but you guys, I mean, you can incrementally build trust with clients and customers around helping them, like, make sense of all this. Yeah, I mean, I would say trust is built, uh, you know, by bottom line, right? I mean, if you're you're solving problems that they've had or they're you're giving them information that they've never had before, um, they trust you pretty quickly, right? I mean, it's just I mean, it's a business decision at that point. On the flip side, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you, like like you said, it's it's a it's a longevity thing too. I mean, you know, just being in the market, you know, and you know, being around uh, creates trust. I mean, there's no other way to really build it besides besides that. Uh, so, so I think we're getting we're getting near the end here. So let's do some Q and A. See if you guys have any questions. Who's got the mic over here? We got two questions over here. Uh, taking off from the uh, idea that every API is a dependency, if you're consuming APIs, is there anything like an uptime guarantee? For uh, it reminds me of hosting, you know, where you're paying for so many nines of reliability over the course of a year. Yeah, I mean, we how have, do you how do you put a number on that? We have an SLA that goes with any real contract that we have. Besides, you know, a, you know, a free key that we're giving to developers to play with the product. I mean, but to to do real business, we have an, an SLA with uptime and uh, penalties and all sorts of fun stuff in there. Absolutely. But I mean, there's dependencies. For instance, on distribution, if the stores are down, there's nothing we can do about it. But again, these are transparency issues that we just need to be clear about when we do the contracts and kind of you know show risks involved with the distribution part because there are always parts where we can't do anything. Um, the stores are down once a month, basically, and that's pretty much a guarantee. And how long they're down is between, you know, one hour to even four or five days. So these are things that, you know, are completely off our hands, but we just need to be transparent with the communication on how things happen and how what the risks are. So we can, for instance, guarantee – we can guarantee an uptime for our API – but we can't guarantee that the API will kind of move on and do what it sh- what's it what it's supposed to do. Yeah, the best uh, best APIs have some sort of SLA to to cover it. If you uh, kind of compare developing or launching an API to developing or launching a startup, um, there's a certain time window you have to demonstrate some kind of revenue. Um, is that something that's a core part of your process going into it is it you know can you talk about the role that revenue has in your design in the kind of deliverables that you feel like you need to see and and you know provide for people when you're when you're building these things i can i can jump in on this one so um i think an in, that's an in, very important and interesting point so of all the in, apis that we manage it, it turns out that only there's different types of things people are trying to do with them. They almost all drive the business in some sense, but they're not always directly revenue generating. So I'd say only about 15 to 20% actually charge for the access. So um, you might think of things like Twilio and SendGrid, where they're essentially providing message sending, so you can just count the number of messages and they're charging you by that. There's some data APIs where you know, I can make 1,000 queries a day and it'll cost me a certain amount of money. A lot of the others that are non-monetary, they're driving some other business metric. So let's say you're a social network, then probably it's increasing stickiness or helping people build other clients that make the network more attractive. But they're trying to make some other metric of the business go up. And so you do have a time window. Um, What we see, we definitely see people that that put the API out there and then they're like, great, it's launched. Nothing happens. Uh, And it's, it's way worse 
than you know putting an app in the app store and because an app in the app store a user can just download and play with it an API someone has to go write code so your chances of the critic the cricket scenario like crickets like out in the wind nothing happening are much higher with an API so what we generally recommend and what we see really work is you really need to go find um, the people that are going to use it, the first three, four, five partners that you think you're going to create value for and co-iterate the API with them. Find out who it is. You know, Let's say it's some amazing data that you have that no one else has or some uh, particular processing technology. Like you can turn, um, I think, Animoto, you know, turn sound plus um, images into a video. That's kind of processing technology. Then go find the, some prototype customers, and it's not really different from a kind of a lean startup approach. But in API, it's even more valuable because then you come out with two things. You come out with a more robust API, and you come out with some traffic generators and some people that are really generating value. Because otherwise, it's like you've got these two hops rather than just one. And the one is hard enough, basically. Yeah, I, I, t- I personally track on about 25 uh, what I consider monetization building blocks, starting from you know, being free to being freemium to having paid tiers to just dr- driving value or customers or traffic. You know, like New York Times doesn't ha- sell access to their API. It's all about driving traffic to their site. So I have about 25 of those that I track on, and they're pretty telling about you know, what what the motivations are behind a company and what they're going to do or what they're not going to do and when they're going to be in business because they really haven't thought it through. So um, it's not always money, you know, driving driving revenue, but a lot of the APIs that I see launch, people think they're going to. They're going to be the next Amazon or something, and then the, the crickets thing happens. So any other questions? Right here in front. Hey, guys. Great panel. Um I'm wondering if you're familiar with Neil Young's Kickstarter project about high fidelity. Um, just curious, given what all of you do, you know, what do you think is the future of high bandwidth music? You know, what, what's the logical limit? Where, where's the industry heading? I mean, I can probably take on that easiest. Um, it's going to be a huge challenge, um, like moving from current file sizes. We move always lossless files. Um, a minute is about 10 megabytes. Um, so you're going to see a massive change in file size moving to 192.24, which is the Pono um, resolution. And uh, for the previous generation of distribution services that rely on hosting those files, they're already really tough on these companies um, because you know it, it's the most expensive part for them to have the hard drive capacity to hold all those files. We don't host any files, so for us it's pretty irrelevant which file size. It's going to just lengthen maybe the transfer time a bit. But I, I think that 192.24 is going to be soon. All the all partners that we work with are moving gradually towards it, so we're going to see it happening. And that's where especially I think like an API such as ourself is going to be like a key solution to a lot of companies because instead of them kind of rewriting everything how they've done, they, they could now take an API from us and just go like, okay, yeah, this is way too hard now when we up the resolution. And it's going to, at least in the U.S., going to involve the bigger conversation about Internet. Yeah, I, that's what I would say is we've got, right now, we've got some serious net neutrality discussions. Yeah. And when you, you know, when you got Netflix being, what are they, 30% yeah. of the bandwidth? Yeah. And then you got people like AT&T and Verizon, you know, 
taking those backroom deals to, to to handle that bandwidth. I think all of these these kind of political things are really going to decide where we go in the future as far as you know being able to to handle files of that yeah. size. You could do true net neutrality would be pick each song in the catalog and each one could only be streamed ten thousand times on any one Saturday night, and you can bid on which one you listen to. <laughs> well, you, you have scary Capitalism. stuff. Yeah. You have scary stuff like. Um, Hopefully, there's no AT&T people here, but uh, AT&T has a a uh, paid bandwidth API. So I, as a customer, or as an AT&T customer, can can get can download high quality video and watch it on my iPhone. It won't be on my data plan because said company paid for it for me to watch that through the API. AT&T has an API that does this, so it's basically a net neutrality API, which scares the shit out of me. But uh, so th- we have a lot of these things that are going to happen where you're going to get a really good quality view of the internet because you're willing to watch a, a five-minute commercial before you watch that music video or something, and that, that customer paid for your, your follow-up or your experience. So. Back here in the corner... Are there companies that use their own APIs, their own external facing APIs for their own websites, or is that just too much of a performance hindrance? I mean, we everything runs on our own APIs that we do. Um, it's the only way also to test their robustness. Um, yeah. That's the same for us. I mean, we test our scalability. We test uh, you know the, our, all of it within our own you know subsidiaries and company. Yeah, every, everything like the yeah. Uh, well, they use the same technology. It's yeah. not. It's, I mean, it's a different expose of the API. So we have a private API key, and it runs completely internal. But it uses all the same API commands that we do than uh, as another company. Yeah, it's 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 pretty much like um, a lot of companies that do APIs. You know, the UI is a controlled API already. Um, like I remember. Uh, you could pretty much list any any of the companies that do API sharing nowadays would have their own website also running on those APIs. I think this we definitely see this a lot, but it it's you got to be aware of the cost. So it's a great thing if you can do it, and it and it has a lot of value. I know, for example, so if you um, Google has a lot, of, if you just take the Google Maps API, they flip flop between these two models of using the Google Maps API to drive uh, Google Maps itself. And then after a while, they kind of flip-flop into the other mode of where they're disconnected, so the, the in-house one devolves a little bit and then try to bring it together. And that's not because they're disorganized. It's just a very tough thing to do. If you have a UI team that's trying to ship something on your website, they start to take shortcuts, and the more shortcuts they take, the more disconnected it gets. And if you've got the two coupled, they'll break the public API. Yeah. All right, so that's a very... Um, it's a tricky thing. It depends. You've got to look at the relative velocities. What's the velocity of your website and the need of those UIs versus the API. So I'm an API guy, so I'd like to say do API first. Always run on your API, but reality is you've got to look at what, what needs to change faster and, and what, what contracts you've made with who, basically. Yeah, but it, it is a great test. It dep- great test. I mean, people call it dog fooding. You know, um, I prefer to call it champagneing because you <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't eat your own dog food because if you're making dog food, that's not a good thing but uh you should use your own you should be api first but it's about having resources twitter uh dot com used to run on their own api but they really didn't have the expertise to scale and deal with the issues they face so they rolled it back to the other way so it really comes down to the you know how strong your team is i think 
All right. We got one quick question, and then we're done. Wait for the mic. This is a question from a non-developer, but to a bunch of developers. What do you guys think of things like Zapier and It Does It? And do you, do you think you'll see more music applications um, uh, allow their APIs to open up to to those type of solutions um, for kind of hobbyists and also then to to test things out for, for building, which is what we use those services for in our business? Yeah, I can speak to that. So I track on 38 separate, I call them reciprocity services because it's more than just interoperability and, and automation. It's about... Uh, protecting the interests of the users and the platform, everyone involved, the developer. And I've seen, you know, more of these services like Zapier and Ift, um, if this, then that emerge, as well as I'm seeing more APIs with it default as part of their API ecosystem, meaning you go into their developer portal and right there it says, hey, you can use us for for Zapier. And it's, and it's purely because, uh, you know, tr- APIs aren't just for developers. There's a lot of people who use APIs um, that are data journalists, different types of people. Average people are starting to um, understand APIs. I'm working with universities that are teaching APIs to freshmen coming into their schools, giving them APIs, their own APIs. So, yes, it, that's a huge growth area. And I'm seeing ones that are um, becoming more specialized. So I haven't seen it for music yet, but for documents, just dealing with um, syncing of, of between Dropbox, Google Drive, and then you know uh, Amazon's new one. And I'm seeing them for you know specialty cases like that. So yeah, it's definitely a, a huge growth area. Uh, add to that as well. I, th- I think. I mean, I don't know if everybody knows this kind of services. You just write rules. If this happens on this service, do this other thing on this service. And I just think it's huge. Like it's a huge thing because right now developers are used to APIs and we do stuff with them. But if you put that into hands of um, you know someone in their living room who can say based on the weather, based on a bunch of other things, play this music, or even get down to the level of manipulating the sound itself. Being able to write rules and compose them, it just puts that creative uh, tool right in everybody's hands. And that is, especially with music, uh, is one of those just, you know, it's kind of holy grail type of thing. It's super basic right now. We need to get down in the granularity. But that that's, I think it's an amazing yeah, direction. Echo Nest had some really cool things, especially done like through these, that transformed sound using what they were doing. So they had like these rules that you could set. Um, they did like import video from YouTube. I'm not sure if you guys remember that. It looked through the video and kind of tried to give you the right mood for music behind using their large database and kind of transform everything. There were like really, really cool things done. So I completely agree that it's massive, um, especially now that like the user end of it might be, you know, super simple UI where it's only modular, so you don't need to know code at all, so you're just kind of clicking through lists of things, and I mean, that's that's huge. I just, I just scaled my Zapier up to the next tier because I'm using it more, and I can write the code to do it myself, but it's quicker, it's easier, it's more organized, so yeah. All right, um, I think uh, that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you, panelists. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you.